Hi, and welcome to the Irana Hills Church of Christ podcast. We hope this message from Pastor AJ Hines brings you closer to knowing God, finding freedom in Him, and understanding what He has in store for you and your community. To learn more about Irana Hills Church of Christ, head to aranahills.church. We hope you enjoy this message. We um, are going to have a good time. It is the culmination of a conversation we've been having this whole term, just before we get into the bells and the silly dress and all the Christmassy stuff that's starting next week. It's going to be fun. You are welcome to dress up from next week as much as you want for Christmas. There's license. Let's go crazy. Those, ear bell, those earrings you wanted to wear. Hey? Those Christmas earrings. The jingly ones. Make noise. Yes. Put some bells in your pocket. Walk around with them. Just do something. Okay. I don't have anything, any dress that is Christmassy. So if you find a 6XL shirt somewhere, buy me one if it's Christmassy. Very good. A bit of a summation just of where we've been. Uh, We've been, been speaking about being present in place. We've had Luke Williams, Terry Williams, Katie Owen come and share the beginning of this term, speaking about the places we live, move and have our being. Uh, We've been really focusing on the vow of stability. St. Benedict of Nursia taught us that there is this vow that calls us to be present and to stay. Not always to leave. God's ascending God, yes, but sometimes he calls us to stay. And uh, unless we hear that we should leave, we should stay. And I think people leave prematurely. They leave their workplace prematurely. They leave relationships prematurely. They leave their church prematurely. If they hear from the Lord, they've heard from the Lord and they should move. Absolutely. And we would pray them there and we would bless them. Uh, Please come and have a chat with us if you want to. If you feel called to move somewhere else. You know, people don't belong to a local church. They belong to God. And uh, so we see the bigger picture and we invite you to do that. But sometimes people move prematurely. We've focused on the fact that saints are known by the places that they lived in and that there's a significant reason for that. We've also meditated on Wendell Berry's quote that says, there are no sacred and unsacred places, but there are sacred and desecrated places. Because God made all things, he doesn't make mistakes but it is our job as we were singing to do the restorative work of the Lord I found this quote in the week on the happy givers Facebook page that I follow and I love it and it says dear church stop gathering around the name of Jesus while ignoring the ways of Jesus remember the poor visit the prisoner feed the hungry clothe the naked welcome the stranger deliver the oppressed serve the least and rise for the marginalized He waits for us there. So much of what we've shared the last nine weeks have been about the fact that God is in all spaces. He's doing his work even when there's no Christians around. And when we enter those spaces, we should enter it with a mark of respect for the created human beings of God that live in those spaces. And one of our key tasks that we are here to do is to center the margins. There are always margins in society, people who struggle, People who've had it rough, they didn't have a good upbringing, parents didn't hug them or kiss them or love them. And our job is to center them, to bring them into the center, because that is where God's focus is in this world. 
So we've been speaking about these five key posture realignments. You would have heard, I listen to my sermons like when I leave here often, <laughs> critiquing myself on everything. And uh, I've said the word posture so many times. I hope that my own posture is better after this series. We've been speaking about starting with seeking inward, always starting there. Whatever you do, you start and you continue. Start and continue to seek to understand, be a student of your world while you build personal credibility. We've been speaking about seeking to act as a group, as a collective of people. We want to be known for the things that we're doing in our world, not just the things that we say. So before we say anything, we seek inward, we seek to understand, we seek to act. And then we have an invitation because we said that true True inclusion is invitation. That's the fruit of our great credibility in this world. We are invited to speak. Relationally, we go through relationships to speak into people's lives. If we don't have a relationship, we only can speak over their lives and then we better be blessing. There's no other way. It's the same organizationally in society. If we want to speak into society, we have to speak through credibility. If we don't have credibility, we can only speak over society and then we better be blessing. This is in the Bible somewhere. We seek to speak life and then ultimately, this is today, we seek to build trust. It is the end game for me. In fact, I think 20 or 30 years later, I would have just said, seek to share the gospel with individuals. Share about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Wave a flag. Have a banner. Uh, get a starfish, or not a starfish, like a fish on your bumper. Not a starfish. That's a very good book, by the way. Spider and the starfish. Anyway, the kingdom is like a starfish. When the enemy thinks he's destroying it, he cuts it down the middle. And what is he doing? He's multiplying it. It has different organs. And then he splits it again, and then it grows. And then he splits it again, and then it grows. <laughs> a couple of guys, and it's in this book, a couple of guys went to the coast. I think it's in the Great Barrier Reef. And there was this pest of starfish. And so they thought, we're just going to jump in with a pair of scissors and just kill them. And what they ended up doing was <laughs> creating trouble because they just kept on multiplying. Today we'll be speaking about building trust. Trust is something difficult to be speaking about. And just before I get into, we've got three little videos, which is more entertaining than my sermon. Um, but before we get there this morning, before we show the videos, I'm going to say, <laughs> it's very difficult to speak about something with such a high value like trust. And the reason it's difficult is you have to get up every morning and look at yourself in the mirror <laughs> and then realize, man, I'm not that good at that. I'm not as trustworthy as I think I am. Um, so it's actually really difficult for me navigating this text. And I think I'm okay. No, I've got some positives. But it is a big deal. It's a big conversation. So I'm not telling you anything this morning. I'm sharing what I myself are exploring. Is that okay? Because I know there's people here, this is how church works often, is um, I've got like a, I've got a, sometimes my eyes and, and my stomach, like my eyes is too big for my stomach or something like that. But I meet people here and I'm so keen to connect with you. The first thing I say is we should have coffee or we should have lunch. And then I'd say that, but like for six months. And then I say it again and then I don't do it. So I just want to confess this morning and it'll be up to me to follow it up with an actual appointment. I just want to confess there's so many people here that I've promised to catch up with that I simply haven't. It's not because I don't want to, because I really want to, <laughs> I really want to. 
and life just gets in the way. But it's not an excuse. I just want to apologize to you this morning. I know it's a small, simple thing, but actually, I don't feel like I can actually continue preaching this morning without confessing that I've genuinely wanted to catch up with people here. Because it's not up to one person. We're, like, we're interconnected. But I did promise you we should catch up, and I haven't done it. And it's my bad. Okay. Now I feel better about myself. Watch these videos. Does anyone know what's going to happen? <laughs> Didn't you tell them they were going to hit forehead? <laughs> All right, next one, next one. Fall, and we're just, it'll be an exercise in building trust uh, between one another. So, Harrison, if you don't mind going first, uh, step up here on this chair and close your eyes. All right, and then everybody fill in, and we're going to ask you to fall, and then they will catch you. So you have to trust us. I'm going to count to three. Just relax and fall. Okay? One, two, three. No, wait, no, no! <laughs> I bet you didn't think that was going to happen. Another female jumped in Okay, here, wait, wait, wait. No. Another female this? jumped in here, have they? No. I'm going to talk you through this one a bit. You can keep it playing. So this girl is about to, she's, she's trusting someone here in the, in the video. And the video is about three minutes long. We won't torture you with that. Watch the first of the bit. And then there's all the same stuff happening in the middle. Where he's trying to convince her to go. And then something at the end. Okay. So enjoy this. This is so great. You know it's going to be scary, but you know you're going to be okay. And that's all that matters. That you will be okay. <laughs> you know, most girlfriends don't have to have this talk with their boyfriends. <laughs> okay. It's all you, no, honey. Don't leave yet. Okay. okay. You don't have to jump if you don't want to. I don't know if I want to. But you know, this will be the coolest single experience of your life. I know, this is also the scariest thing I've ever done. Yeah. All right, here we go. Two minutes of that. Just like that. Honey, I don't want to do it. Put the two hands on the rope. You know I love you, right? Oh, please don't push me off. Please I'm don't. Right. I am not. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to push you. But if you stand here for more than 10 more seconds, I will. <laughs> Three, two. <laughs> What'd you say? Wait for I just got dumped. <laughs> Was it worth it? <laughs> It will be worth it. Someday she'll thank me. So can I can I have her number? <sighs> Anyways, that's follow it. me on Facebook. Can you believe that friend? Can I have a number? Did you hear that? I'm trying to find out. I'll I'll try and find if they actually did break up. I guess they probably did. <laughs> Would you break up with him? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Building trust takes long. Some studies say up to seven years it takes to build trust with a random person. It is broken very quickly. I don't know if your trust has been broken. Obviously, if you're 
maybe older than five, you can actually remember a moment where your trust was broken. Often by those that are closest to you, that hurts the most. We've been reading Jeremiah 29 verse 4 throughout the last four weeks and today we'll stop on the last verse. Cause people in captivity to recognize the fact that God sent them to a place to be present there, even though it's not their perfect place. It has challenges. It's difficult to be there. But God gives them very clear instructions. And we've been breaking it apart and it has fit into what we believe repostures us in our world in 2021 slash 22 in our city. And he says to them, he says, build houses and live in them. Seek inward. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Seek to understand. You won't plant what you don't know. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives to your sons and your daughters in marriage. Give them uh, that they may be sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Seek to act. Commitment is called for. Permanence to place. Seek peace and well-being for the city where I have sent you into exile. Seek to speak life and then seek to build trust and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its peace, its well-being, we know shalom, its wholeness, you too will have peace. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And in a world that is so opposed to faith or Christianity, our job is not to tell people what to think, but it is to love them, to prove to them that we are for them. And in trying to prove, to build trust, to prove to people that we are literally for them. You see, we're for God, but because we're for God, we're also for them. Is that right? You can't be for God, but against them, those people. You can't exclude them, but before God. Like God says, if you don't love, you don't know me. You don't know who God is unless you love other people. It is the journey. And if it's hard for you, there's obviously an opportunity for some healing because trust has been broken. That is the work you need to do. Because ultimately, you are called to love. It is part of who you are. The greatest satisfaction in your life will come when you love other people it's the strangest thing that you yourself will benefit most from loving others it will hurt like hell it will hurt but it is the greatest satisfaction to give your life away for the sake of someone else and I know and I can attest to the stories of the people who sit here today that many of you have experienced that it is like seeing the kingdom when you don't know, you don't care. You don't see it. So you don't care. So that understanding will be taken away from you. But for those who see it, more will be given. More will be given. Do not hide the lamp under the lampstand. Put it on the lampstand. Those who have eyes to hear and ears to see, let them do that. And says, for those who understand the kingdom, more will be given. To those who don't, it will be taken away. Because you don't care. You don't receive that incredible awakening. I love this Chinese proverb and I'm quoting it twice because I love it so much. Go to the people, live amongst them, learn from them, love them, start with what you know. No, start with what they know. Build on what they have. But of the best leaders in the world, when their task is done, the people will remark, we have done it ourselves. We're really good at creating, maintaining, 
lifting leaders that are great with their mouths, and terrible in practice. They're good communicators, but when it comes to it, they're not necessarily practicing it on the ground. Because that's not the job. The job is always that it is a work of the people. And that leaders are just not that important. They're just part of the people. I sometimes wish that we didn't have a, have a stage, but the reason we do is so we can see one another. It has no reflection bearing in terms of who is speaking and who is receiving at this moment. Many times I would share in these spaces and learn way more than what I'm communicating. Often it just comes out, which means it's not for me anyway. Matthew 28 verse 16 speaks of the Great Commission. You would know it if you've been in church for a while. Jesus is resurrected. Things are a bit crazy. (laughs) And the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I love that. But some doubted. (laughs) Jesus is standing there. He told them this will happen. And they're like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> like, really? You don't know? Come on. Oh. Sometimes I hear like sermons or I go and listen to someone. I'm like, I heard that like 20 years ago. <laughs> anyway. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the time to claim it now. Like, Jesus is all humble and stuff. I believe this is the moment. He's still humble, but he's saying it like it is. You know, Jesus was subversively, like, communicating. You know, I don't know, asking questions, parables. Here he's coming and saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he gives them a charge. He says, therefore, go and make disciples convert people. No, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them <laughs> to obey everything I have commanded you. Do you realize here it wasn't just a thing of saying, hey, just share it with everyone, then leave. Go to the next thing, and just do that, and leave. No, he said, disciple them. Baptize them. And then, teach them all the ways. Not just the words, the ways. Sometimes I think our journey with people is we just want to get them in, and then we're off to the next one. How many people have been baptized and they never followed up? How many have entered and said yes to Jesus but don't have one relationship to show for it? How many have we let go that have entered our spaces? And I have a list. And it's just been on that third column on my to-do list that just is always there and alive, but I haven't actually phoned them. Some haven't picked up the phone, but the majority are there. Make disciples. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I think our journey, this is just something I'm dropping before we get to the heart of today, that pre-conversion discipleship is very much what we are doing day to day. The people who have not said yes to Jesus, yet he has said yes to them. Our journey is to disciple every human in our world and to be discipled by them. And then there are these moments of conversion where they say, yes, this is the work of the Spirit, where God has always been working in and amongst us. The translation of evangelist is this, the transliteration. 
It's like euangelion, which means the good news. Euangelistes is the sharer of the good news, the bringer of the good news. You might have on your one hand, and maybe some of you more, I actually know some of you do, have a few opportunities where you've sat someone and for the very first time they say to you, I want to know who this Jesus is. I submit my life to him. It's a precious moment, but it is a work of the Spirit. It's not because you're so great. Your job is to disciple Post-conversion discipleship is also an essential posture for us in our world. One of the things I wanted to share today, because this is the work of the people and this job of ours to disciple our world is not up to an individual. It's actually up to each one of you. The reason that map is there is not because we just want to do a bit of art or trace something of a projector, which was done really well. It's for us to look at the bigger picture of the context of where we live and to recognize that no single person or organization or group or church can change or influence that whole space on its own. It's impossible. The pins on the wall, there are other life-giving churches in our community. I believe it's over 50 that's there. Way more than that. Okay, can't count. It is there as a remembrance to us to recognize that we are part of a bigger thing. And we can't do it on our own. We have to live it out. It's the greatest witness of our faith. is not just to say things, but to live it out. I love for you guys, don't put the next one up. I would love for you guys to bring people to church. Like it's fun when it's full. It just is. It's fun when it's full. But I don't want you to bring people to church that don't trust you. You know why? I mean, if they come, we're going to love them. We'll give them coffee and everything. Like, you know, and God is going to work through that. But if they don't trust you, the chances are pretty low that they're going to trust us. <laughs> it starts with you. Your neighbor, your street, your suburb, your workplace, your life, your people starts with you. So don't bring them to church if they don't trust you. Build trust with people and they will follow you to church themselves. Now you might disagree with that. I'm very open for that. I can be totally wrong. It's just something that I feel is important to say. Building trust really does look like, and I've looked at many mechanisms. Psychologists talk about these triangles and what's the priority in terms of rebuilding and building trust. But I think the four postures that we mentioned earlier is a good place to start to look, to figure out what building trust looks like. And that's fine. You can have like a little course you can do. You can, you can put it on the wall. It's always very helpful. <laughs> you can print a booklet. You can print, make a book and sell it. And not take a wage from the church. You can do that. But I'm not always so much interested in what it looks like. I'm interested in what it feels like. This whole year, we've been speaking about sounding like Jesus. Moving like Jesus. Listening. Not just hearing. Listening like Jesus. Because you can say a right thing in the wrong way. You can listen, but not hear. You can wear the gear, but not represent what Jesus is about. 
It's been a realignment in a lot of ways for myself and hopefully for some of you. This is why I believe building trust feels like. People need to know we are for them. And the way they know, I believe through these three, these three kingdom words, we build trust over time in small, who loves small? Generous, who loves generous? And slow. I think some of us are cool with small and generous. <laughs> remember that series we did, Unhurried? You remember that? That word that is spoken now, like if I had 10 cents every time, it would be great. Small, generous, and slow ways. We resist. This is a resistance. Don't, when we speak about this today, <laughs> this is weird about the whole Bible thing. There's these beautiful, fluffy words, but when put into practice, don't, don't, don't mess around. It is a resistance. It is a fight. It is a battle. It is a mandate. It is, it is war. <laughs> I'm, I'm like a pacifist. I don't like war. It, this, is, this is a spiritual war, and it's war. And don't think for one moment that you are not included in this war. You are at the very center of the war on humanity and it's coming at you, and you're submitting, and you're allowing it to control you, and you know that when large, stingy, I use that word deliberately because I like it's got a bit of punch, and fast ways are controlling your life. I have been controlled indirectly by large, stingy, and fast ways. And think about it. Think about leaving school. You get your first job, that first paycheck. You have to decide what car you're going to buy. <laughs> you don't have a lot of expenses. You don't have kids yet. You don't have any big things. What you're going to buy is slow. Small thing. No. It needs to match the suit and the hair and the gear and the, you know, what are you going to, what are you going to put on your online dating app if you don't have a nice car? Gonna have some muscle, you're gonna rave it. Imagine raving a little small old thing. Imagine the attitude. You arrive at that job interview with this broken down thing and being proud of it. It's a battle, and I think it is one that we are not finished with. This year has been good, everyone loved it. COVID, we can think small, so good, small, generous, slow, it's great. It's because it was forced. The moment we exit the season, the biggest risk we have is that we put our foot on the accelerator and we start accruing again and we start thinking big again and we start thinking fast again. And it is going to require every little bit of discipline for the disciples of Jesus Christ <laughs> to not submit to these things. It's always been a fight. But with the global pandemic where the world stops, I believe the greatest risk is yet to come. If we do not capitalize on the opportunity that God has given us in our city, in our world, in our street, in our home. And we'll get to why these three things are so crazy and important. We have three parables. 
I would nearly pick three out of Mark because the one was perfect. I already spoke about it, the lamp on the lampstand, but I tried to change it with another one that's a bit more in your face. And uh, I want to invite some people to come and share with us, but for the sake of embarrassing, I'm just going to choose team we shared this morning because they've already been up here. And so, Bella, would you come and share the first one? Come and read it here. Mark 4, verse 30 to 32. It's the shortest one, so I am gracious to you. It goes longer and longer. We love our Bible, right? Yeah? Any co- someone has a Bible? Okay. Thank you. Let's read Mark 4, 30 to 32, the parable of the mustard seed. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Very good. Give her a round of applause, Auguste Bella. So much better than I read it. Mustard seed. Mustard seed comes up a lot in Scripture. A lot. It's really something to think about if Jesus speaks so much about a mustard seed. I always thought that this mustard seed they were talking about was this massive tree, like those ones in somewhere in the U.S., because everything's big there, right? It's like it's as round as this building, that type of thing. But actually, what they're talking about is it's one of the largest garden plants, and that when it takes root in good soil, when it takes root, it's nearly impossible to stop it. It is a weed. It grows. In significant ways. But it starts small. We're not called to big church. Now I believe that in the kingdom of God there can be many small things. That collectively looks really big. But the good news is is that because there's no one big one. The rest are actually better off. Because we can spread the love. It's one of the reasons we're active in Zulmira. It's not because we necessarily have a burning desire to just be there every day. Because very few of us live there. It's because it's a kingdom opportunity with something very tiny. I love that. I would be more cautious if we had a big thing come and say, Hey, come in. We want to be part of you. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, can we split it first? Who loves a good church split? No? No fans? No? Such fun, church splits. Small is important because small, with small, everyone can do something. If it's big, not everyone can do something. But because it's small, everyone can do something. And if you just do one small thing today to build trust, imagine we all do it together. What it would do in the context of our world, it would be a super spreader event. This is the question you need to reflect on. What is one small thing you can do to build trust today? You have something? Think about it. Take it home if it didn't pop into your head. Tyler, come and share with us. The second one I think is incredibly important and a resistance to the the things of this world is generosity. Tyler will read for us from Matthew. 
Matthew 20, verse 1 to 16, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Thank you, Tyler. Give her a round of applause. This is a bit of a longer story and in the middle there there's text because we shorten it a little bit. This is radical. It's radical. It's unfair. It's un- what a boss. What a boss. Just doing what he wants. Just blessing those who worked an hour. Those who come in early. I think in church world sometimes this is not just a financial statement, by the way. I think it is in terms of our awakening or understanding of the God things. I don't know what it is when you've been in a place for a long time because I haven't been in a place for a very long time. The good thing is, is there's a sense of ownership because you helped to lay the bricks, you helped to put on a light or the painting or you did something significant. I know that in the three years I've been here, there's a, there's a sense of, I like this place, I like that wall. <laughs> I'm going to talk about it a long time. I like the people. Sometimes there's something that creeps into us when new folks come into our places that we have been in for a long time. Where we become stingy. You can't just walk in here and come and tell us what to do. (laughs) We've been here since this day, that moment, that time. We've been part of the great seasons of this place, but sometimes we miss the fact that God just doesn't really care. Because he loves everyone equally. Imagine running an economy like this. Very difficult. I get it. What generosity does is it communicates that everyone has the same. It is a way of the kingdom to know. That our posture and our way needs to be small and needs to be generous. 
Generosity shouldn't be something that we have to explain to people. It should be something that they can experience in the building. Does anyone know or recognize or realize or have you noticed that we don't charge for coffee anymore? No? You have? The coffee drinkers have. Those who don't, don't know because they haven't been there. (laughs) Now, it's a massive economic loss, you know, a year I think it's like 500 bucks maybe a bit more a bit more it's about a thousand dollars you know I don't know if we can continue doing it with the surpluses we have and the things that God has blessed us with I don't know if you've been to an SGM lately <laughs> God is incredibly generous through you to this place and I think if we charge for coffee we might just be missing the mark a little bit Because if someone comes that have only spent an hour in this place, don't they need to earn the right to speak? No. Is that good? If you have a major problem with it, come and talk to us. We're open. I don't feel we're going to shift on this. Because generosity is a kingdom value. How good is it to give things away? It's liberating. In the beginning, it's very difficult <laughs> when you don't have a lot and you're like, I'll try. It's not easy because you know how hard you work for it. But the moment it's out of you, it's like there's space for more. Because friends, you are not a hoarder. We don't operate from scarcity. And I hope that this body of believers will never operate in that. They'll operate in faith because the God who we follow is the God who owns everything. And who are we to tell him what to do with his money? We'll do good governance and all that, but who are we to tell God what to do? Third one, I'm nearly done. Before we get there, this is the question. What is one, see how simple it is today? What is one generous thing you can do to build trust today? I believe the moment you ask this question, an opportunity will present itself. As you drive through the neighborhood, as you visit family, as you engage your street or someone you haven't spoken to for a while. Hey, maybe even someone in this room, let's, let's get crazy. <laughs> let's get crazy with each other a little bit. Is that okay? How about you think of someone in this room you can bless generously. Sometimes it's easier to be kind to the homeless person sleeping under the bridge than to those closest to us. Last one. Do I have team left? Who's left? Sammy, come and share. He put his hand up. He didn't put his hand up. He just tried to help me. Sam will will share this last one. Thanks, Sam. You can do it very very, very slowly. All right. Again. No, I know. Sorry. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer... A farmer went out to sow his seed. 
He was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did where it did not have much soil. It sprung up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as, soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since, they do, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Give Sam a round of applause. Slow is one of the harder ones that we need to embrace. But I guess because you are in control of your own life, are you in control? Because you dictate the pace of your calendar and your clock and your family and your rhythms, God is going to, through His Spirit, give you the capacity to continue to slow down. This needs to be intentional. If it's not, you're going to go on autopilot and you will have a heart attack. If you submit to the way and the pace of this world, your body does not lie. Sometimes our mind lies to us. Sometimes our heart deceives us, but our bodies, <laughs> they're like, hello, <laughs> hi. Handbrake. You're stopping today, it says. You are not moving forward because it will end for you. Your body can't lie. And if you don't make a deliberate decision to slow down, you will be like seed. And when the word comes, it'll be scorched. You wouldn't have time to grow because it's not good soil. Good soil takes time. Do we want to be a place that cultivates good soil in the people of God? There's weeds and some. God equips us to deal with that. There's an opportunity to redo and clean and start over from afresh. God gives us the strength and the courage to do that. 
is there a commitment in the room that we can be a place that cultivates good soil? Slowly. What slow does is, and I love this because it's one of my values, everyone can join in when it's slow. Just as when it's too big, no one can actually think or produce that. They can do small things. Generosity, everyone can contribute, can give something. With slow, everyone can join in. Some of you might have noticed that earlier in the year, we spoke about two very different ships. We had it on stage. You had some sails. Remember the sails? It's not a powerboat. It's a sailboat. We don't have a captain with a steering wheel and a big engine. Come on. <laughs> we have sails. We have rudders. We have things that need to be done. Everyone needs to contribute. And we can only move at the pace of the slowest committed one. When it's slow, everyone can join in. And I think the kingdom of God is small, generous, and slow. And I think the people of God who proclaim their dedication, their commitment to the king of the kingdom can move and do things in small, generous, and slow ways. How refreshing would it be if the church in our city moved small, generous, and slow. What a tonic could we be to our world? Now, we said it's a fight, but I still believe that we will see the greatest things happen when we deliberately pursue these postures. And this is the question for you. What is one slow thing you can do to build trust today? Small, everyone can do something. Generous, everyone has the same. And if they don't, we center them so that they have the opportunities to understand what the kingdom is all about. And slow, everyone can join in. Do you see the word everyone in those three statements? That makes me excited about life in general. Thank you for joining us today. If you were encouraged by the message and would like to hear more sermons like this, make sure you hit subscribe. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To experience other messages, videos, and live services, head to oranahills.church and navigate to the resources tab. Thanks for listening.